something that's not there, something that's not allowed to be there. We'll get into it in a minute. In 1980, the Supreme Court ruled that posters of the Ten Commandments had to be removed from public school classrooms. The majority of justices wrote the commandments were unconstitutional because if they were, quote, to have any effect at all, it would be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate, and this is the most dastardly of all possibilities, and obey the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine if our kids did that today? I mean, is this mess that we're in working? Tearing down the Ten Commandments, not allowing children to understand that there are guardrails and guidelines to behavior and things that can be and things that cannot be done. That not all behavior is okay. A few years ago in Jersey City, a battle ranged over why the city can officially commemorate Ramadan, Hindu New Year, Dominican Flag Raising Day, and many others. But according to the ACLU and Federal Court of Appeals, they cannot display a manger scene at Christmas. Does it make any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to me. We know that these are not isolated incidents, but there's something else going on. This morning, I'd like to attempt to connect some dots and see if they create a bigger picture. So I want to begin, which seems like, how come you're going all the way back there? Because you'll see how it fits in. Let's begin about 560 B.C., that's about 2,500 years ago. The book of First and Second Chronicles, which provide the history of Israel from the time of their first king, Saul. But if you go to the book of First Chronicles, it's the one that outlines and focuses on the life of King David. In chapter 12, all the tribes of Israel rally behind David. They've all decided, here's somebody we can follow. And so they decide to pool all of their resources. And so each tribe brings to the table its own group of skills and activities. Some bring a vast number of military men, soldiers. Others bring warriors of great valor. Still others bring people with expertise in battle plans. But then there was a very selective group, unique men. And these were called the men of Issachar. Have you heard of them? They numbered about 200. But listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 12.32 about them. The men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. In other words, they understood the politics. They understood the mood of the people. They understood the direction the nation was going in. And that knowledge was vital to the king as he set the course of the nation going forward. He had the big picture. These men were able to provide the big picture and in so doing, fill in the details so he had a complete understanding. He just wasn't receiving the advice of yes men and he certainly wasn't just receiving the, the, the mindset of men who only said no. He got the, pull, the full picture. Do we understand the time in which we live? That's my question to you this morning. Do we understand the times in which we live? Shouldn't be surprising to anybody, and people hate this, myself included many times, that times are changing. Not just a change of events from simpler times, but a change of mindset. Not just a change of mindset, but a change in the very foundation of how people think about life and the great issues of life. 
This goes very deep. There is a liberal philosopher, professor of linguistics. He comes from the University of California, Berkeley. His name is George Lakoff. He's the author of the book, Don't Think of an Elephant. Something you want to read tomorrow? Take it with you on vacation? I doubt it. Professor Lakoff is a high-profile liberal thinker. And here's what he writes about the times in which we live. Quote, all issues are not agenda-driven. They are worldview-driven. I myself have fallen into the trap of thinking, well, they've got an agenda. No, no, it's much more than that. And he defines, he defines a worldview this way. The way people think unconsciously. Your worldview is what you believe at your core. It frames how you see everything. Everything. How you see religious faith, how you see the political scene, how you see the philosophy of our time, the art of our time, the literature and the science, how you dress, what movies you watch, even the words you use. Think about that. Did you ever think there was going to come a time in America where certain words you were not allowed to use, that you couldn't express certain ideas? A worldview promotes this. It promotes people being silenced. It promotes changing words and changing history and the freedom that you have under the Constitution to speak your mind. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This is where it all starts. You know, you can see your brain, but think, you cannot see your mind. You can't see your mind. You can see your brain, but you can't see your mind, and it's in your mind that everything begins. You'll never understand what's happening in the culture until you understand the culture's worldview and in turn your own. If you think that we're in sync with the world and its views, you're sadly mistaken. As a Christian, we're at the opposite end of the spectrum. We are counterculture by virtue of what we believe and compared to what they believe. I want to outline some of that. Bible-believing Christians, we have a worldview. Our thinking is shaped by what God says in this book. Amen? By what he says in this book. And so we are able to go through the pages of the Bible and we'll be able to care, compare about what we're being, by what we're being told. And we'll say, well, that doesn't make any sense biblically. And it can be rejected biblically. Or it can be accepted because it's biblical. I got to tell you, a lot of what's being thrown in your face is absolutely not biblical. And you can say amen to that. Bible-believing Christians believe there is absolute objective truth. It's right here in this book. John 8, 31 and 32. If you continue in my, my word, Jesus says, then you're my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth. There is the truth. There is a truth. There is truth. Regardless of what the culture says, the culture says something totally different. The dominant culture believes absolute truth does not exist. They just take it off the table. Bible-believing Christians hold that there is a God who created the universe and all life. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Dominant culture says there is no God. Imagine if your whole philosophy 
begins with the idea that there is no God. What does that mean? Well, then, of course, there would be no absolute truths. But then, of course, there would be no moral right and wrong. But, of course, there would be barriers on your behavior. And, of course, there would be consequences to your behavior. And you need to know, because once you believe that there is right and wrong, and once you believe there is a God, and once you believe that his word is true, then you begin to realize that you're a sinner. And once you recognize and acknowledge that you're a sinner, and you wonder what you can do about this, what you can do about your evil past and the things that you've done wrong and the things that cling to your conscience and the things that make you feel bad that you've done. And you say, where can I turn to have these things expunged from my mind? And the only place is at the foot of the cross with the blood of Jesus Christ to give you a good night's sleep and clear your mind of the past and allow you to take a deep breath. That's the truth. And that's why the truth can set you free from your past. The dominant culture, no God, no creation. The universe has no beginning. Life on earth is an accident of time and weather. Scientific discoveries over the past few days, decades are making that world view more and more untenable. And you're going you're gonna to hear the facts of that in the, in the fall with the Genesis teaching. Bible-believing Christians believe that Jesus is God come to earth in the flesh, virgin-born, sinless life, crucified for our for, uh, for our sin, buried and rose again. The dominant culture believes in what Dan Brown wrote. How many of you remember the book, Da Vinci Code? Da Vinci Code, remember? On page 235, this is what he writes. Dan Brown, you're responsible, Dan, for what you wrote. Almost everything our fathers taught us about Christ is what? What? Now, does that conform to our mindset? Does that conform to our worldview, our biblical worldview? When you see that in the book, you should stop reading. A worldview that espouses there are no absolutes, no right or wrong, no God, believes it's all good. It's all good. And that's okay until you check the Bible, which says, no, that's not good. No, that's not good. No, that's not good. And you continue to do it. He who knows what's right and continues to do what's wrong, that's to him sin. The Washington Times article some years ago, John Leo wrote, quote, in 30 years of college teaching, Professor Robert Simon has never met a student who denied the Holocaust occurred. What he sees increasingly, though, is worse. Students who acknowledge the fact that the Holocaust, but can't bring themselves to say killing millions is wrong. He says 10 to 20% of the students are reluctant to make moral judgments. Think about that. Reluctant to make moral judgment, to look at a situation and assess whether it's morally right or morally wrong. Well, they don't only do it in the case of the Holocaust. They do it in terms of their personal life. And they don't even realize that what they're doing is sin because they can't make that judgment. Not only on somebody else, but on themselves. While these students may deplore what the Nazis did, they disapprove. Disapproval is expressed as a matter of taste or personal preference, not moral judgment. Of course I dislike the Nazis, one student told him. But who is to say what is morally wrong? Who? Who is to say what is morally wrong? I throw this book in your face. This is who says. And who wrote this book? God wrote this book. Tell a young girl that she shouldn't have premarital sex, and then you use the chestnut uh, because you might get pregnant. <laughs> 
They know 50 ways around that. You can't, that can't be it. The thing to say that should stop that kind of behavior is, God said, not before you're married. Amen. According to Barner Research, two-thirds of Americans no longer believe in objective truth. You hear that? Two-thirds of Americans no longer believe in objective truth. What is that going to mean for our country as we go down the line? For many, the only thing you can trust, are you ready for this? The only thing you can trust are your own feelings. Well, of all the things I cannot trust, I'm Italian, and I think my feelings can go crazy sometimes. Can't trust your feelings. You may have eaten something a couple of hours before that affects your feelings. You may be thinking of the worst possible scenario, and it affects your feelings. Remember this little statistic I've told you from my days of preaching, worry is foolish, futile, and forbidden. 95% of what you worry about will never happen. And yet you will spend hours. You will have sleepless nights because you're worrying about something that hasn't happened yet and you think for sure it's going to happen and you keep waiting and the clock keeps ticking. It's like sitting in a rocking chair and hoping you're going to get someplace. It doesn't happen 95% of the time. And the 5%, when it does happen, the things you worry about actually happen. You can't do anything by worrying about it. Ain't going to change the situation. This is the environment which makes sharing one's faith in God the G word. A word disallowed in the public square. Are we seeing that? Does that seem right to you? Everything, profanity proliferates. It's okay. But talking about Jesus, biblically, you get taken off the, off the, the website. An article from some time ago in the Courier News, New Jersey paper, priest faces trial over Jesus' claim. It comes from Italy, Viterbo, Viterbo, you like that? Italy. An Italian judge heard arguments Friday on whether a small-town parish priest should stand trial, are you ready, for asserting that Jesus Christ existed. The priest atheist accuser, Luigi Cassioli, says the Roman Catholic Church has been deceiving people for 2,000 years with a fable that Christ existed and that the reverend violated two Italian laws by reasserting that claim. Cassioli filled a criminal complaint, criminal complaint in 2002, after he wrote in a parish bulletin that Jesus did indeed exist and that he was born of a couple named Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem and lived in Nazareth. He claims that, that the, the accuser claims that, his, that, the, that the priest's assertion constituted two crimes under Italian law, so-called, quote, abuse of popular belief in which someone fraudulently deceives people and impersonation in which someone gains by attributing a false name to a person. This is where we are. Oh, it's only in Italy. Are you kidding? It's coming to a theater near you if it isn't already here. It's happening right now. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 22. And I will ask you to stand for this. Matthew chapter 10. Verses 16 to 22. Behold, I send you forth as sheep 
Now, don't think of this as 2,000 years ago. Use your mind to think of it right now, okay? Make it contemporary. Be ye therefore wise as servants, harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And brother shall deliver up a brother to death, and father the child, and children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, for he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You may be seated. Now that actually, literally, biblically speaks to the end times. That speaks during the tribulation that people need to endure, they will be saved. But we know that we're living in the last days preceding that, preceding the rapture. And we understand that these kinds of things are forewarners of the times to come. We're living in a time which is not that time, but the times in which we live have these times, these appearances. These things are happening right now to prepare us. So let's break down the text into five points. Verse 16, he says, Behold, look, out a sheep among wolves. It's a hostile environment. If you're into equal employment and, and all of that kind of business, you can, you can sue your employer if you're in a hostile environment. He says, I'm sending you out into a hostile environment. Number one, be aware of the times in which you live. This is a time when our biblical worldview is at odds with the culture, a godless worldview. This is the time when you know if you're alive, if you're breathing, if you're paying attention. It's so easy for us to put our head in the ground and not pay attention to what's going on around us. That's dangerous. Because then you can be suckered by just about anybody. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated. What's happening here and now? Open your eyes and then connect it to what the scripture talks about. So be alert about the times in which you live. Second, be wise. Keep from being devoured by the culture. You must know what you believe and why you believe it. And unfortunately, so many in the church don't. Don't know what they believe. They we espouse, we espouse certain things, some certain things we've learned in kindergarten or Sunday school or things we heard, and we espouse those things as core beliefs, and we really don't know what we're talking about. This is why we started our mentoring ministry, 18-week, taking each one of the things that are building blocks to your faith and have you mentored by somebody. And you go through it methodically so that when you walk away from those 18 or more weeks, you know what you believe and why you believe at the core. The real danger of the church to the church is not what the unsaved believe. It's what the saved believe. Amen? Do you have a biblical worldview? Number three, be harmless. You do harm to the cause of Christ when you approach those in school or the public square with whom we disagree if you're angry and insensitive in your reaction. It's very, it, I tell you, it can get you right in the gut. Sometimes watching the news, 
I wanted to take a chair and throw it at the TV. But then I count the cost. And I said, do I really want to buy another television? <laughs> Don't kill your testimony in an effort to defend your faith. You have a testimony. People have so many different ways of objecting. But the way, the way that so many of us object is to go up there and vent our spleen and scream. And, and, and pretty soon we find ourselves saying things that we're going to regret. Be wise. Think Pray about what you're going to say before you go up to that public school night. From verse 17, number four, beware of men and women. In other words, beware of the system. There's a system being created. And within that system, you and I do not fit. That system is round hold. We are squares. Believe me, anybody will tell you we're squares. <clears throat> we don't fit into that guideline. We don't fit in the, into that paradigm. We don't fit into that system. And to try to put us into that system, you're just going to get resistance. And now, if there was ever a time for believers to resist, now is the time. With wisdom, with knowledge, with understanding. Social media, internet cable TV programming, want your son, your daughter. I don't have kids anymore. Well, you have grandchildren. Or you have kids that you know in your sphere of influence. When, when they turn on those programs, they're getting a world view. Commercials even project a world view. It's dangerous for your kids. So the only thing to do is don't let them hear those things and watch those things. Supervise them. Teach them from God's word by example so that they can learn to supervise themselves. We have to arm kids with stuff. Try as you might, try as I might as a pastor of this church to arm our kids. So many of the kids go off to university and that's the end. But we pray and we, we, we believe that the seeds that were planted in their early years here in Sunday school, vacation Bible school, uh, uh, church, Children's Church and all these things have planted a seed in youth group. It's the best we can do. Verse 19 and 22, number five, don't be ashamed, intimidated, or silenced. Stand up, speak up, endure, and persevere. That's what you can do. And that's what you must do. That's where we stand or fall. That's our goal. And that's what we do. We're ambassadors to a world and a worldview hostile to Jesus Christ, hostile to the Bible, hostile to you. It's a form of soft persecution. We're not being killed for our faith, but many are being canceled for our faith. We're not being tortured into silence, but we are being marginalized into silence. When we don't stand up for Jesus and speak up for what he has done, everybody loses. Who's everybody? Well, the unsaved lose because we have denied them the privilege of hearing the gospel and recognizing its transforming power. And you lose because you may have had the opportunity to win some for Christ and possibly change the world. How could that be? Closing story. Missed opportunities. 
Martin Niemöller. How many have ever heard the name Martin Niemöller? He was a German Lutheran uh, bishop who was called, to, called upon to negotiate with Hitler during World War II in attempt to save the Church of Germany from being closed down by the Nazi dictator. Toward the end of his life, the story goes, Niemöller told of a recurring dream that he had had in which he saw Hitler standing before Jesus on Judgment Day. Jesus got off his throne, put his arm around Hitler, and asked Adolf, why did you do these terrible, evil, ugly things? Why were you so cruel? Hitler, with his head bent low, simply answered, because nobody ever told me how much you loved me. The bishop reported that at this point in the dream, he would wake up in a cold sweat, remembering that during the many, many meetings he had had with Hitler, he never once said, never. By the way, Führer, Jesus loves you. He loves you more than you'll ever know. He loves you so much that he died for you. Do you know that? So often we fail to bear witness and hence lose precious opportunities to alter the course of history. Who knows what would have happened if the gospel was shared to this evil one? Who knows what would happen if the gospel was shared by you to one of your neighbors? Who knows how you can affect the course of history? A little preacher from down south went to a church one night and evangelized that small church. He didn't know who was in the audience. It was one of those opportunities like I get to go out and preach the gospel to folks and evangelize. He couldn't possibly know everybody who was there, but a young, tall, lanky boy came forward and gave his heart to Jesus that night. And Pastor Ham found out years later that the young man whom he had preached and led to the Lord Jesus Christ was an aspiring young preacher named Billy Graham. Change the world. You can change the world. But don't be silent. Don't be intimidated. Speak up. Say, well, I don't know if I can tell them the whole story. Well, you can tell them what Jesus has done in your life. And then the second thing you can do is you can invite them here. You can tell them to listen in on the, on the, uh, on the uh, streaming. We're providing as many opportunities as we can for you to reach folks for Jesus. But it's up to you. Let's pray. We don't want to be intimidated into not using the name of God, the name of Jesus, in a worshipful and meaningful manner. Lord, give us whatever it is we need to open up our hearts and open up our lips and speak of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what he's done in our lives. Not what he did for somebody a hundred years ago, but what he did for each one of us yesterday and the day before, and what we know he will do tomorrow and all our tomorrows. Pray your blessing on the word as it went forth this morning. Might touch people's hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. Amen.